they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerardes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there had met him out of the tombs, a man with unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, and night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying and cutting him with stones, himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus far away, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjourned you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbling about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and was drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what has happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those that had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had possessed with demons begged him that it might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away to proclaim, proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you that you are a merciful God. Though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Father, we adore you because you are a gracious God. Everything we have that is good and beautiful and true comes from your hand. Though we have sinned and rebelled and we have not lived according to your laws and we do not live often in light of who you are, you are still a God of amazing grace. Father, we confess that we need you. We need you every hour of every day. We need you as we lay our head down and sleep at night. We need you when we rise in the morning to work. Father, we need you this morning as we hear your word proclaimed. We need your spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that love, to be able to see Christ afresh and anew, to break through the um, familiarity of a text such as this, to be able to uh, see Jesus and be able to go forth and tell our friends what the Lord has done for us, how he has had mercy on us. Father, we thank you for your mercy each day, for they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Christ's merciful and precious holy name, 
All God's people said, Amen. If you're not already there, turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't, don't have a pew Bible, but you have your own Bible, uh, it's the second book of the New Testament towards the back. You can go to the front of your Bible. There's a handy-dandy table of contents. Go to the New Testament, find the second book in the New Testament, go to that page number, and maybe five or six pages to the right, and you'll see Mark chapter 5. And our text this morning is actually a part of a bigger story. It is directly connected. It's sort of the second act of last week's sermon where the disciples, seasoned fishermen, had gone out into the ocean, or excuse me, the Lake of Galilee, known as the Sea of Galilee, Uh, They had done this their whole lives, but a furious squall came across the lake that day, and these seasoned fishermen feared for their lives, and they despaired while uh, Jesus, the carpenter's son, lay peacefully uh, sleeping on the sandbag ballast in the stern of the boat. It was then that when they cried out, aren't you going to do something? And Jesus stood and said, peace be still, and the winds and the waves obeyed him. And the terror that they felt at that moment as the seas instantly calmed was greater than they felt in the midst of the storm. And I would imagine, sometimes during the week I daydream of what it would like to be and insert myself into the narrative, to be looking over the shoulders of the disciples or to be uh, where they were following Jesus. And I can imagine as they're halfway through the lake, they know they're going to the east, or the east side of the lake, uh, and, or the west side of the lake, and, and um, they know where they're going and they can't get there fast enough because of the man that is sitting in their boat The wind and the waves obey him. And they do not know what to think. And they're beginning to realize that Jesus is not just an ordinary man. He's not an ordinary prophet that's been blessed by God. He's not just a man that's mighty in word and deed. There's something different about him. And they keep muttering under their breath and shaking their head. The wind and the waves obey him. Finally, after a period of probably, as I would conjecture, it could be completely wrong, but of silence, of not really knowing what they had, listening to the oars as they dip in and out of the water, they get to the, um, the land of the Gerasenes, the Decapolis, which was ten Greek cities that were Gentile cities that had Greek uh, origin, and they were very different than the other side of the lake where the Jews lived, and they had a very religious uh, lifestyle. But they came to the country of the Gerasenes, and we don't know exactly where this is, but we know this was a, uh, on the, the, the edge of the lake, it was a Gentile area, and it was a place that Jews did not go very often. But Jesus is the one who said, we are going there. And Jesus was going there for a reason, and they didn't know. He calmed the storm to get there of the wind and the waves, and he was about to calm another storm. But rather than the kind that where the wind and the waves rage, it was a storm. It was a supernatural storm that was raging inside a man's body, and he was hopelessly losing in the dying in the midst of that storm. I want you to know this morning, as we go through the text, to be able to see this is that the mercy of Jesus. The mercy of Jesus is powerful to deliver those who are powerless 
to deliver themselves. The mercy of Jesus is powerful to deliver those who cannot or who are powerless to deliver themselves. I'm mixing it up a little bit with my outline this week. Uh, I want to try to not be predictable as we get farther into the text to be able to see it in a different lens, in a different way. And so I want to give you four things. One hopeless man. Two rival powers, three urgent requests, and four truths that we proclaim. One hopeless man, two rival powers, three urgent requests, and four truths that we proclaim. As we begin to see the first truth, the first thing is one hopeless man. As Jesus comes up to the edge of the shore with the disciples, this boat who is battered and weary from the storm, and the disciples are just so thankful to be back on shore. Fishermen normally don't feel this way, but they're back on shore, and they are so happy to be do that. And all immediately, they hear a sound, and they hear a commotion, and they see a figure that is running to them in the distance, and their attention is drawn to this man in the distance who is running closer and closer, and it is a man who is terrified because of the storm that is raging within him. To the untrained observer, the disciples that day, who had no knowledge whatsoever of this man, of his history, of the people, of this land, they would have quickly recognized that this man had endured incredible trauma. His neck and his ankles and his wrist bore deep scars because he tore chains apart and shackles that were meant to restrict him and bind him. His skin was marred by disfiguring scars and blood flowed from fresh lacerations on his skin. The only place that this man was able to sleep safe from the elements was in the caves where the people of the land buried their dead. And in the village, it's likely on a crisp, clear night, you could hear the haunting cries of sorrows and agony in the nearby village. Cries of desperation, cries of agony, cries of sorrow. He was a hopeless man who was hopelessly trapped by the storm that was raging inside him. Mark never tells us his name, but his mother knew his name. His family knew his name. His friends and his neighbors, and if he was married, his wife and his children would have known his name. There was probably a time in his life like he, he was like everyone else. He worked, he played, he rested. But those were the days before the demons came. Before the villagers cast him out of the city. Before all his hope was lost. Now each day he spent terrified. Uh, and parents said, don't go near that area because that terrifying man is there. Stay away from him. Each day he languished in the tombs, crying out, naked, broken, and forsaken. He was a hopeless man until the mercy of Jesus came ashore that day. One hopeless man and two rival powers. 
The Gentile land of the Gerasenes is probably the most unexpected place for a showdown between an army of darkness and the son of the Most High God. And this hopeless man that nobody wanted, that was ostracized by society, was the last person you would think that would become the prize of war. To the Jewish people, such a man like him, himself was hopelessly unclean and hopelessly untouched, untouchable. He was an unclean Gentile to begin with, with an unclean spirit in him, and he was living in an unclean ma- land that was marred by the filth of pigs that were grazing nearby. Ocean Park, the mercy of Jesus as we will see in this text that Mark so brilliantly shows us, is not like our fickle hearts which predetermine who is worthy of our message and who is worthy of our attention and who is worthy of our love. Instead, the mercy of God The mercy of God in Jesus Christ pursues the unclean, pursues the unworthy, pursues the unrighteous with an unmerited, unconditional grace that sets hopeless people free. And this is exactly why Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee that day. This is why he endured that storm that he knew was coming. The disciples learned a great lesson about the one who was in the boat, about the person of who Jesus was. But Jesus was pursuing somebody. And he was going away from the land of promise. And he was going into a foreign land, to an outcast living outside of a foreign land, to somebody who the people did not want near them and tried to bind with chains. His mercy was about to set a hopeless man free. The first power of the rival powers was the demons who destroy. The, uh, we see in the narrative, Paul, or Mark tells us that the demons referred to themselves by a number, not a name. Legion, which is several thousand uh, soldiers and officers, and they were in this, and they said, there are so many of us inside, and we refer to ourselves as legion. They have taken possession of this man, and they were utterly trying to destroy him. We see out throughout Scripture the utter contempt that unclean spirits and demons possess and have for those that are made in the image of God. Demons throughout scriptures are shown to steal, kill, and destroy. Demons possess utter contempt for human suffering. They find sadistic pleasure in polluting all that is good and all that is beautiful and all that is true. Ocean Park, this picture of this outcast from society wailing day and night in the tombs is a picture of the tyranny of sin that is destroying those of us and those of all creation that are not united to Christ under the shelter of the cross. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, writes this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin which you once walked, And notice, these are dead souls living in the world like the walking dead zombies, spiritually dead. 
And what are they doing? They're following the course of the world. They're following the prince of the power of the air. These unclean spirits who are dwelling in this man. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And what has this done among whom we all once lived? We're not born into the family of God. We are children of God in a sense that God has created us. We are made in the image of God. But we are born into the kingdom of darkness. And we must move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's why Jesus has come to rescue those people who are under the oppression of the power of the air and the oppression of the deeds of the flesh. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This hopeless man is a, was a miserable picture of the life that's ravaged by the power of darkness. His desperate cries day and night in the tombs was the sound of utter despair and utter defeat. Luther, in his great 500-year-old hymn, The Mighty Fortress, writes about the hopelessness that we have apart from Christ. Luther wrote these words. He said, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. If we try to fight the powers of the darkness, we will lose like this man tried to fight the army that was inside him, and he lost miserable, and he was despondent, despairing of life itself. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus it is He, the Lord of hosts is He, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. This hopeless man who was held captive by demons that were destroying him was hopeless until he came face to face with the Son who saves. And his name is Jesus Christ, who commands the hosts of heaven. And Jesus Christ got in that boat and sought him out with the saving mercy and grace of God. Notice the Son who saves in verse 6 and 7. And when he, this man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice. There's an interpretive challenge here. Who is he? Uh, I believe the first sets of he describing this man uh, were the the physical man, the human. And then I think right now there's a transition in the middle. It's the two rival powers coming together and legion, the legion inside him, begins to speak to the Son who saves. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This is the the demons are beginning to speak now. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. When Jesus set foot on the unclean Gentile land, he was fulfilling the promises of God given to Isaiah some 700 years ago that God would seek people who did not seek him. Our reading this morning in Isaiah 65, if you, when we go back and in light of the, the text in Mark chapter 5, I want you to re- reread this with me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. 
was the man looking for Jesus. He was in the tombs, wailing and crying in despair. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that are not good, pursuing their own imaginations. It's coming. Steve, would you advance me, or Chris, would you just advance it once? Okay. A people who continually provoke me, my face, offering sacrifice in gardens and burning incense to altars of bricks. These are demons, the sacrifices that are going to demons. And here, who sit among the graves and spend their night keeping vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose um, pots keep broth of impure meat, who say, keep away from me, do not come near to me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus here is taking the initiative to seek lost human beings. Even those who lived in an unholy land with swine and demons under the shroud of darkness. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to search for those who weren't searching for him. For God so loved the world that he turned to those who would never turn to him. Ocean Park, this is a beautiful picture of the power of God's mercy to capture and transform those who are ignorant of the power of God and ignorant of his very existence. The mercy of Christ takes no prisoners. There is no power on earth or, uh, or uh, in hell that is too great to prevent Christ from saving those on whom his favor rests. Not even the ruthless hounds of hell can stop a hopeless man from being saved by the Son of God who has come to destroy the kingdom of darkness. Amen? We see one hopeless man two rival powers, and then three urgent requests. When Jesus set foot on those Gentile shores, the kingdom of darkness was shaken like it was never before. This ruthless army of demons who had overpowered the chains and the shackles of the villagers could not, uh, uh, was powerless before the Son who saves. But as that legion of demons inside the man trembled at the feet of Jesus like they've never trembled before, they had one request. Notice verse 10. And the legion, he, begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Up to this point, the only people who, or the two people know the identity of, two characters in, the, in Mark know the identity of Jesus. Jesus and the demons. The disciples are slowly catching on. The crowd is oblivious. And the Pharisees have no idea because their hearts are so hardened by their self-righteous religion. It is Jesus and the demons who know, and the demons fear Jesus. 
He was the one who had bound their strong man in the wilderness. He was the one who, had, who had accomplished, would accomplish their defeat. He was the one who would cast them into the abyss, and they trembled before him. Notice verse 11, this strange request comes. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he, Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The legions begged Jesus to be allowed to run into a herd of pigs rather than to face their inevitable eternal destruction. And Jesus permitted it. Mark doesn't give us any reasons. He doesn't give us any motives. motives. He simply tells us at the beginning of verse 15, or 13, he gave them permission. Now, some of you modern listeners are, who are sympathetic to the plight of cute and cuddly people like Peppa, Porky, and Piglet are taken aback that Jesus would allow these demons to go kill the pigs. What about the pigs? What about the livelihood of the villagers that has just drowned in the sea? The narrative doesn't say that. The narrative, Mark tells us, that Jesus delivered a hopeless man from the tyranny of an army of demons. And it was that were slowly and methodically killing him. It was the demons whose pursuing their purposes of destructions went into the pigs. It was legion who killed the pigs. And in doing so, they sealed not only the fate of the pigs, but they sealed their fate in the abyss under the sea of God's eternal judgment on the enemies of God. But we must remember this, Ocean Park, the God whose eye is on the sparrows cares for the pigs but he places infinitely more value on the, the rescue of a hopeless image bearer of God, even if that life has been discarded by society and declared worthless. The image bearers of God, every single one of them, every ethnicity, every place in society, Every man, woman, and child is valuable in the eyes of God because they are made in his image, separated from creation. We see the first request of lead, and then we say a second, another strange request from the townspeople. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told, and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what was happening. News fa travels fast in a small town, especially when it involves 2,000 demon-possessed pigs who are your most valuable possessions plunging into the sea like lemmings. Such news to the villagers would have had devastating consequences and effects on their livelihood, and they came out to be able to see what if the, the veracity of these rumors and these rumblings from these crazy herdmen. They kept repeating, the pigs and the demons and the man, and they're dead. And they ran out to see what in the world is going on. Notice the unusual response from the townspeople, verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, 
clothed and in his right mind. And notice their response. And they were afraid. They weren't angry about the dead pigs. They weren't rejoicing that this man has been seemingly cured. It's very much like when the disciples sat in the boat and the storm was calmed and they were terrified. These townspeople were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened and the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They were afraid. He was just sitting right there. Just sitting. No more screaming, no more thrashing, no more violence. He was just sitting there. The man who used to run naked through the tombs, terrifying people with violence and rage, was sitting peacefully with Jesus. And it terrified the townspeople. Why? Because the people knew the strength of this man. Some of the men that probably ran up to see what happened were the very men who'd put the shackles and chains on him and were pushed away and beaten by him with those very chains, and they ran. They knew the power in this man, the lunacy and the, and the, the rage and the terror that possessed him, and he was just sitting there, and he was wearing clothes. And they were absolutely terrified. And notice what they did. In verse 17, they begged. Same word. Legion begged. And these people begged Jesus that he would leave their region. Have you ever said, if just my dad or my friend or my child could see a miracle, they'd believe. I know they would. Lord, just do that miracle and they'll believe. There are a few miracles as great as casting out an army of demons out of a man that is being crazed by them. And all they wanted was for Jesus to get away because they were terrified. Ocean Park, it doesn't matter how incredible the miracle, large or small, without the eyes of faith that are given by the Spirit of God, the natural heart does not desire Jesus. It wants to do anything to get away from Jesus. We have the request of legion, the request of the town people, and the final request, the man's requests. This once hopeless man had experienced the incredible mercy of Christ and he knew his indebtedness and he knew the joy that was overflowing in his heart. He got his life back. A life that was discarded uh, by society. A life that was stolen by, from him by the demons and, and thrown around and trampled. He got it back. And notice verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. I just want to be with you, Jesus. Jesus freed him from the oppression of the demons, from the isolation of the tombs, and from the utter hopelessness away from any human connection. And his natural response was that he wanted to be with Jesus. 
He wanted to listen to what Jesus was teaching. He wanted to express his gratitude every day. He wanted to serve and honor him. He wanted to go and talk to the other disciples and say, what has he done? Where did he come from? Tell me more about him. I owe him everything. I just want to be with Jesus and know Jesus and honor him because he has given me everything. Yet Jesus had a different plan. The only one of the requests that had faith was the only request that Jesus denied. It's strange, isn't it? We almost think that God has bigger, greater plans than we, our minds can understand. But sometimes we doubt when we don't get what we want. Even good things, like going and following Jesus and asking questions and hearing him teach. Notice verse 19. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus was leaving the region. Townspeople said, you've got to go. You can go anywhere, but you cannot stay here. We are terrified of you. You've got to go. But the message of the gospel was staying. The hope for the hopeless was going into a distant land, a land that is ruled by darkness and demons. The message and the light of the gospel was going home. The hopeless man would return home as a changed man. Why? Not because his strength, not because uh, of the society, not because of anybody, but because of Jesus. He was commissioned to go and tell what the Lord Jesus had done for him and how he had mercy on him. This, brothers and sisters, is the first missionary that was commissioned by Jesus. Ocean Park, if we have been set free from the domain of darkness by the power of Jesus Christ, you have been commissioned as well. Go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. Those who are united to Christ by faith, who say, my life is not my own. I once lived for myself. I live for my pleasure, my glory, my passions, the things that I wanted. I renounce that. I renounce my former allegiances. I repent of those, and I turn to Jesus, and I believe the promises of Jesus that he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Follow me. Seek my kingdom, and I will care for you. We have all been called to go home and tell our friends what the Lord has done for us at the cross, how he has had mercy on us. One hopeless man, two rival powers, three urgent requests, and four truths that we proclaim. We listen to the narrative of Mark. Uh, as we listen to the narrative of Mark, we'll often miss the point if all that we do when we leave here is talk about demons. And let me say this, this is not, this, this is a, a real live demon. This is not a mental illness. 
Uh, mental illness is common and pervasive because we live in a broken world that is tainted by sin. And just as the heart and the uh, legs and uh, other parts of your body do not work properly, your brain is affected by sin and it causes mental illness. This is not mental illness. This is demon possession. And we also have to realize that demon possession is not as common as we would like to think it is. It's only mentioned in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. It's not uh, talked about in the uh, gospel or the uh, other writings of Paul and Peter and the, and the universal writings. It's exclusively here. It's very rare, but it's very real. And so, further note, not mental illness, though some people try to do that. This is not what it is. This is demon possession. All right, that, I don't, won't charge anything else for that. That was extra. That was free. One hopeless man, two rival powers, three urgent requests, four truths that we proclaim. We can get distracted about demons and all these kind of things, and we can go on rabbit trails. And you know what we do when we do that? We miss Jesus. And we miss the gospel. Because we're so distracted by myths and endless genealogies talking about Christian things and doctrinal things that we miss the gospel and we forget about that. Therefore, we have to be very careful to think through the repercussions of a story such as this. And so what we do in these four things that we proclaim as we go home and tell our friends what the Lord has done for them, we we proclaim the power and the compassion and the mercy and the mission of Jesus. The first thing we proclaim is the power of Christ. That He is able to calm the storms that rage around us and inside of us. Imagine what they were thinking. Dude, we just saw you calm the winds and the waves, and now you just tore out an army of demons from that guy right there. Who in the world have we been following? And the understanding and the picture of Jesus is rapidly growing and the greatness and the glory and the power of the man that is sitting in their boat is beginning to overwhelm them. He does what only God can do. And their Christology is blowing their minds. Who is this that armies of demons grovel at his feet? Often our picture of who Jesus is is far too small. We like the comfortable, gentle Jesus with salon-quality hair that's always blowing in the wind, and he says, let the little children come to me. And that's, Jesus is compassionate, and Jesus is gentle, and we see the children, but Jesus is a warrior. He is strong, but he is able to yield... yield his power with compassion and and grace jesus is the one that angel armies stand ready at his command jesus is the one where the wind and the waves hold their peace at his one word he is at where the hounds of hell cower at his feet Jesus possesses all power and all authority in heaven and hell. There is nothing beyond his jurisdiction. All creation stands before him and trembles. But we think Jesus is our homeboy. Jesus 
is power. Jesus is great. Jesus is mighty. And as we see these interactions with the demons of hell, we are reminded how often our picture of Jesus is far too small. Ocean Park, go home and tell your friends about the power of Jesus. Go home and tell your friends about the compassion of Jesus. The compassion and grace of Jesus that seeks the outcast. The heart of Jesus, this mighty warrior, overflows with love and compassion for lepers who nobody will touch. And tax collectors who everyone sneers at and hates. To the lame who struggle and are forgotten and are shied by and you don't want to make eye contact with them. Ordinary fishermen to the broken, to outcasts. All, every single one of us in this room right now fall into those categories. Some of us can see it, and some of us can't. Pride has blinded us to the reality of who we are. What sin has done and rendered us. Some of us can admit it. Some of us have been poisoned by the pride of religion or irreligion as we see in Sunday school. Therefore, like the hopeless man, we feel the ache and the bitterness of hopelessness, but we cannot communicate that because we are under the captive to the tyranny of sin. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his autobiography. He says he recalls his life before his conversion. My heart was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. But thanks be to God who pursues sinners who do not pursue Him. We sing a couple weeks ago, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with what? His redeeming love. He loved me ere. How many people know what ere means? Before. He loved me before I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me, some of us kicking and screaming, um, He plunged me to victory beneath, beneath the cleansing blood. Ocean Park, you're not saved this morning because you are good or because you're worthy or because you are more intuitive and you responded to the message. You're saved because Jesus is good and because Jesus is compassionate. You're not saved because of anything in you. You're saved because of everything in Jesus. And he lavished his grace and his mercy and his compassion on you. He came to you when you were lost and blind, broken and wretched. While you sat hopeless in the sin, the tomb of sin, death and the death of compassion. Let me try that again. While you sat hopeless in the tomb of sin and death, the compassion of Jesus came and set you free. He pursued you with a grace that you can only describe as amazing. Ocean Park, go and tell your friends of the compassion of Jesus. The power of Jesus, the, mercy, the compassion of Jesus, and the mercy of Jesus. 
Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve the full punishment of, of sin, a God, a punishment of God for our sin, all we have. We've broken the Ten Commandments externally and internally. We deserve the guilt. We are enemies of God. But when Jesus finds us, he does not tell us to get your act together. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Follow the rules. Suck it up. Jesus restores us. Jesus makes us whole. Like this man, Jesus empowers us with a mission. He liberally pours out his mercy on a people unworthy of mercy. It's only when, we, when he does this do we begin to see the glory and the beauty and the value of who Christ is and what he's done. Ocean Park, the love of God, though, though it is unconditional based on not on what we do, it is conditional. And his mercy is grace. The mercy is grace. There is no shame that is too grace, no sin that is too powerful, no guilt that is too deep for his forgiveness, but he calls us to a condition. The grace and the mercy is given to all who repent and believe. Repent means to turn from the sins that hold you captive, renounce your allegiance to your own way, your own glory, and your own path and, uh, of, of sin and self, and let go of those pleasures that crucified Christ, that go against his glory, and that fight against his kingdom. We repent of those, and we renounce of those, and we literally turn from those, and we turn to Christ. We believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did. That um, to be able to, that the kingdom of God is now you by the cross, that he took your sin and brought you into fellowship with God. You believe that Jesus is your only way, your only truth, and your only life to peace with God. For those of you now who don't know the gospel, or don't believe the gospel. You know there's a problem. You know that, that hole in your heart that you've tried to fill with all sorts of functional saviors, but it is an empty hole. There is only one who is able to fill that. His name is Jesus. Trust him. Today, Today he has come to you in his word. Drink deep of the mercy of Christ that is offered to you and say, Lord, I confess I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But Father, you have promised that when you went to the cross, you took my sin. And those who trust your promises receive the righteousness of Jesus that we wrap ourselves in. Now we can have peace with God. Trust him today. It would be my privilege if you find me after church, during the last song, call me, email me. I want to tell you what it means to repent and believe and to follow Jesus. In a moment, we'll sing a song. It says, what patience would wait as we constantly roam. The Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more.
What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt that we could not afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Ocean Park, go home and tell your friends of the power of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, and the mercy of Jesus. And finally, the mission of Jesus. Jesus wants this man to know what God has done for him is true. That Jesus is powerful and Jesus is compassionate and Jesus is merciful. We cannot be silent. We must go and tell. Can you imagine what it was like for that man after Jesus got in the boat and left? I imagine he stood on the banks of the Sea of Galilee and watched Jesus as long as he possibly could. He might have shouted out a few questions. Wait, before you go. And then he turned and he watched and looked at the path that led to the village where he used to live, where his friends were, where his family was, where he would see from the tombs that path that led him home. And how he longed to go home, but he remembered the scars, he remembered the sneers, he remembered the threats that led him and kept him in the tombs, and he remembered the anger and the voices inside that held him captive, and then he remembered the voice of Jesus. That day when that ship arrived, when he wasn't looking for him. I imagine if he had a wife, as he entered the gates of that city, they probably would have dropped what they had and just looked. Is that him? They probably, for the, as long as he was gone, they longed to see his face again. And then they ran to him. His mother would have got all excited and made all his favorite foods when he was a little boy, and he kissed the face of her little boy that she had missed him so long. And his father got so excited, and he broke out, got out his favorite cigar and a fine wine, and he got all his buddies together and said, My son has come home. And the scuttlebutt in the village would have been like, Do you hear who's back? You're not going to believe this. The one who broke the chains and was living in the tombs, he's back. And they all would crowd around the home and they filled up the street and every question and every shed tear he shed and every kiss from somebody, this hope-filled man said, it's all because of Jesus. He showed me mercy. Brothers and sisters, the mercy of Jesus is able to deliver those who are powerless to deliver themselves. And if this is true, if what Mark is telling us is true of the hopeless man infused with the hope of Jesus because of his mercy is true of us this morning, and we can say it's all because of Jesus. He has shown me mercy. Ocean Park, go home and tell your friends.